Well, good morning to you. It's just lovely to be able to be back with you and uh, to have the privilege of opening up God's Word, and I'm looking forward to doing that. Now, you might like to turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read the first 10 verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The heading in my Bible is Paul's vision and his thorn. I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was cut up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was cut up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. What on earth does it mean? It's a puzzle, isn't it? To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake... I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, that's an interesting passage, isn't it? And we pray that God will help us to learn from it something that would be an encouragement to us. So let's have a little pray. Oh Lord God, we bless you that you've given us your holy word and we thank you, Father, that everything that is in it is is for us to learn that we might get to know you better. And that's where we are, Lord. We just want to know you better. And so we pray that as we've come into your presence to worship you, and as we look at your word together, we pray that you'd break it into very small pieces and give us an understanding and grant, oh Lord, that as we um, handle it, that we might be profoundly encouraged by all your kindness to us. Make us deaf to the things that we don't need to hear, but extraordinarily sensitive to those things that we do need to hear. We ask these things in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I think that I came to faith in Jesus about... Let me get this right. 45 years ago, maybe a little more than that, a long time ago. I I was about 22 at the time, so if you do the math, you'll kind of work it out. And um, all those years ago, it was a complete change for me because I was brought up to go to a church, which I did until I was probably about 17, and then I kind of stopped going. I had other things to think about. And my life had to do an about turn when I came to Jesus. And I began to read the Bible, but it was a bit like the telephone directory. I couldn't kind of understand it. 
And I knew that there was a way that God wanted me to live, but I really struggled. I knew that Jesus had forgiven my sin, but try as I might, I couldn't get free of some of the stuff that just seemed to cling to me. And it was very difficult. And then I came across verses in the Bible, one in particular which really puzzled me. Second Timothy chapter three, sixteen, seventeen, very well known. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete through thoroughly equipped for every good work. And there was a little bit that really puzzled me. What did it, I knew that I had to get into the word of God because it was important and I knew that it would, uh, uh, I would be complete but I felt incomplete and I wondered was there something more that needed to happen and I was really puzzled by it because I knew that Christ had forgiven my sin but I still struggled well God really graciously helped me and I want us to share with you a little bit of how he did that now just imagine that that is the timeline of history okay stay with me because it's worth it there you have Christ the birth of or Christ on the cross that's when he died and if you follow it through that's me great likeness you say uh, that's me right so Christ came and died in the past and that's me now that's my future and I thought that when I came to Jesus he forgave all the sin in my past but from then on it was up to me and all I knew was frustration because try as I might I couldn't I couldn't just let go of sin it just stuck to me like glue and I began to pray about Lord what do I do about all of this and he very graciously began to show me this, this truth. That the scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That meant before I was born, Jesus died for my sins. So my sins, when Jesus died on the cross, were all in the future. They'd yet to be committed. And that led me to understand that... Just because I'd come to Jesus, it was no longer up to me now to live a sinless life, because I couldn't do that. Oh yes, I had to try my very best, but that even the sins that I would commit after I became a Christian were forgiven, because Jesus died in the past for sins in the future. Does that make sense? Well, I tell you, that liberated me. Oh, I knew that I had to do my best, and I had to... Uh, um, work as hard as I could to get to know the word and to get to know the Lord in the word and, uh, and to keep myself from sin. I knew all of that stuff but what a relief it was to know that my sins had all been forgiven past, present and future. And when I think that the Lord Jesus knew that there would be days when my worship would be mean, days when my heart would be cold, there would be days when I would avoid talking about him days when I would almost be ashamed of being a Christian and despite that he still loved me enough to die for my sins on the cross was that wonderful and then I came to understand that God loved his son so much that he wants to make us all like Jesus now when you think of the raw material that he works with, oh, he's got an awful lot to do. 
And I don't know if you ever watched a sculptor at work with his cold chisel and his hammer, but he takes his chisel and he places it against a little, maybe sharp corner on the marble that he's working in, and he goes tap, tap, tap. And if the stone could speak, it would go ouch, ouch, every time the chisel was tap, tap, tap. And then, bing, the corner flies off. And the stone thinks, oh, I'm glad that's over. And then the sculptor places the chisel somewhere else and begins to tap, tap, tap all over again. And that's a little bit like what God does with us. You see, God saves us, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. He wants to make us like his son, Jesus. And what a lot of work he has to do. Now, I used to think that God was primarily concerned with my comfort. And then I learned that he isn't. He's more concerned with my character than he is with my comfort. Now Paul cared very deeply for those God had reached through him and he prayed for them with tears night and day. And he wrote to the Galatians and he says, you reap whatever you sow. Now if you and I don't understand that God likes to do stuff in our lives to change us, it might very well be that we'll be uncomfortable sometime. And if we're uncomfortable, we'll be a little bit like the psalmist and we'll shout at God, God, are you awake? Don't you know what's going on in my life? Lord, this is so uncomfortable and it's unfair. And if we, if we go down that road, then we can begin to resent God. And because we reap whatever we sow, it's very important that we understand that God loves us, each one, individually, wherever we're sitting. He loves us so much that he wants to change us. And he uses all sorts of things to change us. And I thought this morning it'd be useful for us to catch a glimpse of how God worked in Paul's life. Not because he'll work in our lives in precisely the same way, but he might So it's interesting and useful for us to look at what happened to Paul. Well, there are three simple points from the passage that we read together. And the first is this, God honored Paul. He honored him by giving him visions and revelations. Now, if you stop and think about it, Paul's Christian life started with a vision of the glory of God on the Damascus Road. Isn't that right? And then he went into uh, somebody's house in Damascus, and there he had a vision that Ananias was coming to minister to him. And then he had a vision from God that he was being called to serve the Gentiles. He had a vision that he needed to escape from the city. He had a vision of a man from Macedonia who said, come and help us. So Paul's life and ministry, it seems to me, were peppered by these visions. And an angel appeared to him and said he was going to have to testify in Rome. So all the way through his life, God honored him with visions. Well, we read about an extraordinary vision that he had in chapter 12, verse 2. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, just remember the 14 years, who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Well, what's, what's that about, the third heaven? 
Well, the scholars would tell us that the first heaven is the atmosphere around us. And that the second heaven are the stars in space. And and we've not been able to see the full extent of space. But the third heaven is way beyond that. And it's where God lives. Where God lives. What an awesome experience he had. In fact, in verse 4, he talks about being caught up into paradise. Now you remember when the thief, the two thieves were crucified either side of Jesus, one of the thieves said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said in response, this day you will be with me in, in paradise. Wonderful. This day you will be with me in paradise. Isn't it marvelous he didn't say, you need to come down off the cross. You need to start going to church every Sunday. You need to start giving a little bit more generously. And you need to be baptized and all sorts of other things. He didn't do that. He just said, this day you will be with me in paradise. And this happened 14 years earlier. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul kept quiet about this experience God honored him further by permitting him to hear inexpressible words which it's not lawful for a man to utter. Now, I don't know why they were inexpressible, but I suspect that if you and I went back to uh, 200 years ago and spoke to our great-great-grandparents and tried to explain the workings of a computer or an iPad or a mobile phone, uh, they would find it impossible to understand. And I suspect that some of the stuff that Paul saw would have been impossible for people to understand. What an extraordinary experience he had. And I'm sure that Paul's vision of God's glory was one of the sustaining powers in his life and ministry. No matter where he went, no matter where he was shipwrecked or in prison or being beaten up or stoned, he just had this Memory etched in his mind of seeing something of the glory of God on the Damascus road and then of that extraordinary experience of being cut up to heaven and it just gripped his soul and helped him to keep on going amazing that he never sought fame or used his experience to boast And so we ask the question, how could Paul have remained so humble despite his great experience? Well, I think Paul remained humbled because God gave him another experience. God honored him. And then God humbled him. You see, it says, in order to keep me from being Becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Is it not true to say that most of us are too proud to admit that we're proud? Don't you think so? Too proud to admit that we're proud? Well, I'm amazed that God should give this thorn in the flesh to Paul uh, to keep him from becoming conceited. Now the truth is, the Lord knows how to balance our lives. And if we only have blessings, we're going to become proud as well. And Paul's great experience in heaven could have ruined his ministry on earth. 
So God, in his goodness, permitted Satan, our enemy, to buffet Paul in order to keep him from becoming proud. Now, the mystery of human suffering will not be solved completely in this life. Sometimes we suffer because we're doing something idiotic. Sometimes we suffer simply because we're human. Our bodies change as we grow older. Uh, Everything heads south. And uh, we experience aches and pains that we didn't have when we were younger. Ecclesiastes, remember your creator in the day, days of your youth before the day of trouble comes. And man, it is a day of trouble. I have aches and pains today that I didn't have five years ago. And I expect if the Lord spares me, I'll have some more uh, in the next five years. Well, um, this, the same body that can bring us pleasures can also bring us pains. And the same family members and friends that delight us can also break our hearts. Isn't that true? And this is part of the human comedy, and the only way to escape it is to be less than human, but nobody wants to take that route. Now sometimes we suffer because we're foolish and disobedient to our Lord, and sometimes the Lord disciplines us. Oh yes, he forgives our sins, but he allows us to reap what we sow. Now, had Paul's heart become proud, the following 14 years would have been filled with failure. So in order to keep Paul from becoming conceited, and I find that amazing because it never strikes me that Paul, that spiritual giant, would become conceited. And yet every single one of us has within us the capability for every sin that's mentioned. That's the truth, isn't it? Well, God gave him A thorn in the flesh. Messenger of Satan. Well, what do we know about the thorn? Well, we know, first of all, that the thorn was painful. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. The word thorn is an interesting word. It could be used for a sharp stake or stick that could be used for torture. That, that's the word. It could be... The word torment actually means to buffet or to beat or strike with a fist. That's what the word tor- torment means. So we know that it was Painful, And we know that it was painful because of Paul's prayers. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And, and I have to tell you that I think it was a prolonged time. Because I don't think Paul said, uh, please take it away, please take it away, please take it away, amen. I don't think he did that. There were three occasions when he prayed that God would take this away and God chose not to. Well, we've already identified the purpose of the thorn in the flesh. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So God wanted to bring change in his life, and he set about doing it in a way that we would never have perhaps imagined. So let me ask you a question. What do you think the thorn was the thorn in the flesh now over the years I've looked at that 
And I've seen that the thorn in the flesh is described as a messenger of Satan. And every other instance we find the word messenger, it refers to a person. So I thought, well, the thorn in the flesh was likely to be a person. Maybe his mother-in-law. Or perhaps somebody in the Corinthian church who was making his life miserable. Because as we've said before, God's people are described in the authorized version as being his peculiar people. And some of them really are peculiar. Most of us have met folks like that. I think God has them fairly evenly distributed amongst the churches to keep us all humble and trusting. So, was this thorn in the flesh uh, a person from the Corinthian church? We don't know. If you read the end of Galatians, he says, I write with big large letters because his eyesight wasn't good. Could his eyesight have been the thorn in the flesh? Well, I I guess it, it could have been. But the interesting thing is we are not told what the thorn was. So the question I want to ask, which is the real question, is why doesn't he tell us what the thorn was? Why aren't we told what the thorn in the flesh was? Well, I think there's a reason for that. Could it be that there are different thorns... And that sometimes God in his mercy allows a thorn to come into our experience. Could it be? How amazing that God would permit Satan to afflict Paul. Now it reminds us that Satan is not all powerful. Uh, The church makes two mistakes. One, they think he's a figure of fun with a king-sized toasting fork and a pointy tail. Or they're so frightened of him that they're paralyzed. And yet the scripture says that he who lives in us is more powerful than he who lives in the world. So we don't have to be frightened of him. And we know that whenever Jesus spoke to the enemy, the enemy was instantly and absolutely obedient. He's not all powerful. If he was all powerful, do you think he'd have worked his socks off to bring Christ to the cross? No, because that was the the death of Satan, wasn't it? We've read the end of the story. We know how it finishes. So he's he's not all powerful. He doesn't know everything. He's not everywhere. And if you go back to the Old Testament, you know that he had to get permission from God to have a crack at Job. Well, it's amazing, isn't it, that God, in his wisdom, permits Satan to uh, work against a Paul, one of his children. Do you think it's possible then that God might allow Satan to send a thorn to our lives? What might the thorn be? Well, could it be that you have a frailty of some kind? Physical or emotional? Could it be that there is a fault, a defect, an imperfection, an embarrassment? Could it be that there is a friend who is family member in your circle and sometimes they're a blessing to you, but sometimes they just cause you deep grief? You see, I think the thorn can be any one of a hundred different things. But I want to say to you, don't resent your thorn. Because if you have a thorn and the Spirit of God is identifying it for you just now, don't resent it. 
it exists by God's sovereign pleasure. And it's actually for our good. Paul said in Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, not in some things, in all things God works for the good of those who love him. So it may be that today that you're here, but the part of your heart is aching. Because of some situation going on or some relationship that's gone wrong or you've got something on your horizon and you're tearing your hair out and it's causing you grief. Could it be that God in his sovereign mercy is choosing to use that to bring a little change into your life and into mine? So God honored Paul, God humbled Paul, but then lastly... And perhaps most beautifully, God helped Paul. You see, God responded to Paul's prayers. Paul said, please take it away. But God responded by saying, listen, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient. Now, please note, he doesn't say my grace might be sufficient. He says it is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. And as believers... We have access to this grace. My problem is that I think I can only bear so much. (laughs) But God knows I can bear a whole lot more. But you know, it's only in the extremity that we discover for the first time, perhaps, how close and how real Jesus is and how marvelous his grace is. God's provision for our every need when we need it. It is a sufficient grace. It never runs out. And it is sufficient for any and every situation that we shall ever encounter. It is a strengthening grace. We pray that God might remove our pain and change our circumstances. But his response is generally to use these things to change us. And Paul learned to accept his thorn as a gift from God and to allow God to accomplish his purposes through the thorn. And you see, God didn't give Paul an explanation. He doesn't give us explanations. And if he did, we probably wouldn't understand them anyway. He gave him a promise. We don't live by explanations, we live by promises. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Amazingly, Paul ended up by thanking God because he learned so much. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's a paradox. You know, there is no value in enduring hardships and indignities in and of themselves there's no virtue in suffering and everything turns on the phrase for Christ's sake only a fanatic would find contentment in self-inflicted suffering and miseries but a Christian will find special contentment in sufferings endured for the sake of Christ I visited a, a friend this week past He's very elderly, 84 or something, 
maybe not very elderly if you're 83, but elderly. And sadly, his wife has dementia. And he's trying to cope with her, and she's at home, but she doesn't know that home is home. It's a real struggle for him. But in the prayer that we prayed together, we prayed that as he served his wife, that that might become an act of worship. Because whatever you do for the least of these, my brothers, you do for me. And when we do these things for Christ's sake, it kind of translates it and makes it an act of profound worship. When we understand and take to heart the paradox of power, for when I am weak, then I am strong, the spiritual math is never my weakness plus his strength equals my powers, rather it is my weakness plus his strength equals his power. There's a, there was a lovely lady called Henrietta Myers, and she uh, wrote a, a book that sold about 4 million copies in America. Uh, she was used in a mighty way to strengthen the church through her discipleship and her writing. But she suffered from childhood from extreme myopia and general eye weakness and irritation. And like Paul, she cried out again and again that God would give her relief, but to no avail. And in her maturity, she often remarked, I believe my greatest spiritual asset throughout my entire life has been my failing sight, for it has kept me absolutely dependent upon God. And she went on, still plagued by her increasing disability, to set the standard for Sunday schools in America. She founded something called the Gospel Light, um, and she was influenced very much, she influenced and shaped Billy Graham's ministry, to name but one of a number of people. Extraordinary. God's power was made perfect in weakness. I had a man who was a deacon, and I used to call him my secret weapon, because I would, I would go and tell him of prayer needs, and he would pray. He was a man of prayer, and James tells us that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, and I used to say, would you pray? And he used to pray, and we used to see situations being turned around. Now, he had a... A, a, a very serious heart condition which ultimately led to a heart transplant and when he got his new heart sadly it, it, it had some kind of condition that that it shouldn't have had and, and, and his health was really very poor and I, I used to spend a lot of time with him I remember one day sitting and saying to him you know Alec I've never prayed that God will heal you and he said I haven't either and I said, do you know why I haven't prayed that God would heal you? And he said, no. And I said, I haven't prayed that God would heal you because I think if he did, you wouldn't have this prayer ministry, which is so powerful and so effective because his strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now, we can talk about thorns in the flesh and it'll make us feel very uncomfortable. We need to put it into perspective. Why does God do these things? Well, he wants us to make us wants to make us like his son. Why? Because isn't he going to bring us home to heaven? Someone has said that life is like the narrow neck, short narrow neck of a bottle. And we squeeze through it. But then we come out into the open into glory. 
And God is preparing us for glory. And I find that one of my struggles is that I tend to live with both eyes looking down on the horizontal. But it's so good if we can have a kind of a strange, funny squint in our eyes so that one eye is looking up. Because, you know, when we get there, all the things that, we've, that have worried us and concerned us here, puzzled us, will concern us no longer. He's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. We are being changed into the likeness of Jesus. And I just know that he's got an awful lot of work to do in my life. So what's our response to all of this? Well, Lord, I'm a little frightened. Much of my time I'm frightened. I'm frightened because God is so holy. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm frightened what might be involved when he gets his old chisel and he goes tap, tap, tap to knock a corner off my life. I'm frightened by that because I'm frightened of the pain. But then I'm reminded that his grace is sufficient. And I have to pray, Lord, will you just do whatever you need to do in my life so that I'm made a little bit more like you? And I think that's the prayer that we each one need to pray. And if there's somebody here this morning and there might be and you have a thorn in the flesh and it's causing you pain I'm not trying to make light of your pain I'm just trying to say that in that pain God can bring a fruit that will glorify his name might make sense today but one day it will because the day is coming When we shall stand before him. And we shall see his face. And I don't think we'll be able to tear our eyes away. It says in the Revelation that when we get there he's going to wipe every tear away. And I often wondered how that's going to work out. Because when my kids were small and they fell over and grazed their knee. And I had to wipe the tears away. The only way I could do it was to sit them on my knee. And very gently wipe the tears away. And somehow, though there is going to be thousands of us there gathered around, somehow we're all going to be close to him. I don't know how that's going to be, but we're going to be close to him. And he's going to wipe away our tears, and I don't think it's going to be from a distance. And you know, best of all, when your eyes are filled with tears, you can't see. But when the tears are wiped away, we can see. And what shall we see? We shall see the face of Jesus. And I just imagine that there's going to be little laughter lines around his eyes and he's going to smile at us. <coughs> because he loves us. So please, if you have pain, just keep going. Keep going. Because God has a purpose. Don't cry out for explanations. Just hang on to promises. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never will he let us go. And keep going. Let's pray together. Oh Father, we thank you so much. That though our understanding is very shallow and we don't really grasp everything that's going on or why everything is going on. We thank you, oh Lord. That you're too gracious ever to be unkind and too wise ever to make mistakes. And so we want to pray for one another, Lord. Because 
of the thorns. Would you help us, O Lord, so that we might be able just to surrender to you. Seek to place our hand in yours that we might walk with you. And that you would be able to do in us whatever it is you want to do. So that we might be useful and usable in your service. Oh God we ask these things as we commit one another. Into your tender care and keeping in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.